Welcome to 50 Date Night Screams. I'm Amber Tresca. And I'm Mike Tresca. We're a married couple who decide to celebrate our 50th birthdays by watching some old movies. A lot of old movies. Join us as we watch 50 movies on our date nights and have fun dissecting them. As a bonus, each episode is accompanied by an original character I created and designed for use in your tabletop role-playing games. Many of the movies we watch are unrated, but this podcast is not. 50 Date Night Screams contains mature themes and is intended for adult audiences, so take care when listening. Plus, there are spoilers. Check the show notes to see where you can watch this movie before you listen. We're glad you're here. Have a seat, grab a glass of your favorite beverage, and get ready to scream along with us. Now, Nick's on the hot stuff. I don't want him blasted. <laughs> that's the easiest to tap one of the head, and that's that. Uh, that's another thing. I want this guy to see the Phantom Express. Say, listen. When we get through with this bird, he'll not only see the Phantom Express, but he'll believe in Santa Claus, the stork, and Ouija boards. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to episode 31 of 50 Date Night Screams. I am Amber Tresca. I'm here with my co-host and husband, Mike Tresca. Hey, Mike, what's good? Uh, I'm excited about meeting the Phantom Express. It's a long-running project of mine, as we'll talk about. So I, we finally got there. It only took us 30-plus episodes. 31, 31 episodes. All right. So this is, as Mike said, the movie is entitled The Phantom Express. It is from 1932. As far as content warning goes, uh, I don't. I kind of got nothing <laughs> as far as content warnings. Like, what do you think? Uh, is there anything? Abusive cake batter? <laughs> abusive cake batter. It's like a long you, scene of... You stir <laughs> cake batter, so the cake batter was being treated appropriately. If it doesn't want to be beat up, it shouldn't be cake batter. So. Gaslighting. Um, Gaslighting. Abusive train technology. No. Nobody gets hurt, oh, I don't think. You know what yeah. I will say, though, is that at one point, somebody does get attacked and tied up. Mm-hmm. So, and then somebody does get abducted. Right. But it is not very serious, you know, in any kind of way. But even so, if those are things that are problematic to you, take a break from this episode and we'll see you in the next episode. Although I can't guarantee that that won't have also <laughs> kidnapping and other things. There's not a whole lot in this movie. As a matter of fact, there's no deaths on screen. There is a train wreck for which people got injured. Right. That's about that's about it. That's about the extent of it. I think that's right. I mean, the women don't get treated great in this. It's not worse than most of what we've seen, uh, but they are definitely sort of trophies slash fixtures slash. There's just a lot of traditional role gender roles uh, in gender this roles. in this movie. But that's right. Uh, you know, right. 1930s, right? I think so. Yeah, also 1932. Yeah. Okay, well, now that we just completely donked that up, let's get <laughs> into it. <laughs> it's the most disorganized How do we podcast? I don't remember. Ever. I don't know. Anyhow. <laughs> All right, the movie is The Phantom Express from 1932. IMDb says it is one hour and ten minutes long. I think it's actually a little bit shorter than that. And the director is Emery Johnson. 
I would encourage people to go to the IMDb page and kind of go through the actors that were in this movie and their their uh, bios because some of them are kind of interesting, although they're probably not anybody that you would have heard of before. I will say this movie is a little odd in that several of the characters are not named or they don't have first names. So as we go through the summary, we're just going to do our best. However, in the movie, they are fairly well differentiated from one another. And if you want to watch this movie first, before you listen to our extremely entertaining commentary, you can look in the show notes and find out where you can see it for free on the YouTubes or a link to the 50 movie set that you can purchase from Amazon. On IMDb, this movie has a 5.3 out of 10, which is maybe a little higher than a lot of movies that we see. So, but as we go through the summer, you'll understand why I think that tracks. Let's talk about this movie and how it opens. It opens, I put in my notes that it opens with the cutest model train. You can tell it's a model. Right away, you know it's a model. Uh, But the movie cuts back and forth between this model train and engineers that appear to be driving the train. You know it's a model, but you get, you know, you're picking up what they're putting down. So one of the engineers, his name is Smokey. He sees a headlight coming straight at him on the same track that he's on. He tries to stop the train, but in doing so, the train jumps the tracks And we later see a newspaper report that says that people were injured in this train accident. And there's, I mean, this model train, it's so cute. You see it leave the tracks. You see it go through the dirt. They did a really nice job with it. As one might expect, uh, Smokey and some of the other railway workers are brought before the railway board because everyone's trying to understand what happened here. Why did this accident happen? And several of the workers claim that they also saw this headlight from this oncoming train, but there was never another train. So now starts this chatter about, oh, there's this ghost train going on. One could call it a phantom train. One could call it a phantom train, although they don't use that word at this point. So now we meet the owner of the railway, and his name is Mr. Harrington. I don't think he ever gets a first name. He has a son whose name is Bruce. All right, so this inquiry is going on, and Bruce shows up at the office, and he barges in. He wants to get some keys to the beach house from his dad. (laughs) Okay, so we get the impression from this interaction that Bruce is kind of a playboy because he, he like, showed up uh, at the office in a convertible. He's got a girlfriend with him, and he then is told that he can't go into the meeting, and he just goes right in. So he goes in and he just sits down in a chair. There's another young woman in the board meeting. She's the daughter of one of the engineers. She's Smokey's daughter. Her name is Carolyn. And the first thing that Bruce does is immediately start to flirt with her. I don't understand this flirting, Mike. I don't know if you got some kind of sense out of it, but it was just the weirdest flirting. It I've was ever super seen. odd. He starts pointing at a poster that says, like, safety is our priority or something along those lines. And he's like, huh, huh, huh? You're in a meeting about, you know, a Phantom Express where nearly everybody died and your father is being discredited because there's no train. But look, funny, huh? So I, I mean, I don't even know what he was trying to do. 
It's the weirdest thing. And again, this is one of those things where like the character, I think, is intentional. He's kind of a flirt. He's he's meant to be seen as an arrogant jerk with hopefully a transformative arc. I don't get Carolyn's perspective. She like you're like, is anybody thinking this is okay? Like, you got to be like, what the hell's up with this dude? But no, she kind of goes along with it and is like, oh, (laughs) he's kind of he just burst into this. Doesn't know who he is. Uh, And he bursts in and starts flirting. And by the way, which is going to be very important, this is a lot of eye contact. (laughs) I'm just going to say that. Yeah, it could also be just because she was sitting there kind of bored and, uh, you know, a handsome young man enters and kind of makes things fun. Right, yeah, but it's going to be relevant. A lot of eye contact. That's the point of the flirting is she's looking him full in the face. They are seeing each other. He showed up at a board meeting. I don't know why that's important later, but moving on. All right. So Bruce's dad, Mr. Harrington, initially is like, no, I'm not going to give you the keys. You need to learn the business and you need to help figure out what's going on and why we're having these accidents. There's been three or four, apparently. Uh, So he rants a little bit, whatever, whatever. But then eventually he does give Bruce the keys. Stellar parenting. Bruce goes out into the hallway. So he's got the keys. His dad also gave him some money, and he sees Carolyn, and he's talking to Carolyn. Now, the girlfriend, who's been sitting outside in the convertible this whole time, comes in and sees Bruce and Carolyn talking and gets annoyed and storms off. And and trips in the elevator, by the way. There's like a scene where she trips on her way into the elevator. (laughs) And he, like, makes a comment, and I'm convinced, because this is the 30s, that that was a take and they just kept it in because it doesn't it doesn't serve any purpose. It's kind of a weird trip. Um, and they just he makes a comment and then they just it never comes up again. But it was funny because I was like, why did they make a trip on the way out? I don't know. It it was kind of funny, especially because she was sort of uh, rightly so. But she was leaving in a in a huff. Yeah. I mean, it was it, she has every right to that huff but she kind of tripped on her way out which i think is a fear of all of us into the elevator leaving in a huff we want to leave in like a very smooth you know way and she just she trips on her way into the elevator into the elevator to like people like there's like a crowd in there hits them it's really it never gets mentioned i feel like that's like the highlight of the film i mean there's other parts but like (laughs) anyway all right so at this point Bruce decides, I guess he's not going to go to the beach house. He comes back in his father's office. He gives back the keys. He gives back the money. And he says, I want a job. I want you to assign me to investigate these accidents. And why is he doing so? We're getting the impression that he is doing that because he wants to be closer to Carolyn, who is a very good looking woman. Now we cut to Bruce being on a train with a friend. I don't know that we ever, that had we seen this? No, we didn't see this friend. He just suddenly showed up. He's on the train with Bruce. So Bruce and his friend decide that they're going to switch identities. Uh, okay. Uh, but they managed to mess that up. And so they don't come up with like another name. So they both end up being called Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> it's really stupid. It's super dumb. So. It's so dumb. I I don't even know where to start with that other than it falls apart. Like first he says Smith that like they, they screw up because they didn't rehearse what they were going to say. And then later she's like, isn't it so funny that you and your friend are both named Bruce? And he's like, yeah, isn't that funny? Oh yeah. That's weird. How weird. (laughs) 
So odd. But this goes back to the point. She saw him in the boardroom, flirted with him, and I guess has amnesia and does not know who he is because he she never mentions, you look familiar. Did I see you in the boardroom before? And also, why were you there? And if you're just this rando railroad guy, why were you in the board meeting with my dad? That never comes up. Yeah, and she never asks her dad, and her dad never says, I never saw this person before. Right. He doesn't work with me. He right. have no reason to be. That never all gets put together, but maybe to them it's not such a big deal, you know. The idea with switching identities is that Bruce wants to work on the railway, and he wants to be undercover because he wants to investigate. So also on the train are Smokey and Carolyn, as you said, Mike. And now they're just kind of talking. Not much is really happening. And nobody seems to know each other, even though they have seen each other before. All right. Now we see, now we cut to three men who are in a car. We don't know who these dudes are. This is their first appearance. And they're talking about how they want the railway workers to see the ghost train. And they're calling the ghost train the Phantom Express. So that does get used at this point. And the three men are in this parking lot outside of the one of the the rail I don't know all the terms people. I don't know railway terms. They're they're outside like there's people that like are spotters, train spotters, dispatchers maybe. And so they're outside the dispatch area and they're waiting cuz there's two people inside and they want one of them to leave so that they only have to deal with the one man that's left. And the reason why they want to do this is because they go inside, they attack him, and they tie him up. Now we cut back to the train with Bruce and Smokey. And Smokey says, well, Bruce, if you need somewhere to stay while you're working on the rail yard, you can stay with my family. Okay. That'd be great. (laughs) That'd be great. This is what Bruce wants because he wants to get closer to Carolyn and I guess the Smokey, everybody at the railway is family, mm-hmm. so it's fine. It was just, it's just wild. It's just wild to me. All right, now we cut back to this railway worker uh, who was tied up, and he's trying to access his radio. He is heroically trying to access his radio and tell somebody what happened. He finally turns it on with his foot, uses his foot, and so he's calling his chief on the radio, and he says. I see a train. I see the Phantom Express. So they try to call the other spotter. And I don't know how far apart they are, but they're trying to call this other spotter on the radio. He's also tied up. We didn't see that attack, though. So this second spotter, he manages to get free. And he runs out and he's got a lantern, but the train is literally whizzing by. So he doesn't get to warn them that there is another train on the track coming towards them, they think. It's the Phantom Express. Okay, so then the train that Bruce and Carolyn and Smokey are on comes to a sudden stop, like stuff flies everywhere, people are out of their seats, whatever. It does stay on the track, but they stopped it because they thought another train was coming, and then the engineer and everybody gets off the train, and they're like, but there's nothing here. The engineer's like, but there was. Like, there was another train coming straight at us, and that's why I had to stop. So, once again, the Phantom Express is there and then not there. We 
ended up seeing a lot of train related media in the same week we watched this film just randomly it was so wild um we watched uh the john oliver show he talked about problems with modern trains where they talk about how they are you know the train lines are actually reducing down to one person if they can to run these mile long trains uh but usually you have an engineer and a conductor and so they're very close, right? And that's we see that with Smokey, and I never remember the other guy. He's like Swedish or something. Um, but there's two of them. They're they're and they're the His ones. His name is Axel. Axel, that's right. Smokey and Axel. And Axel. They call him the fireman. I guess that's because he's the he one probably that's like shovels the coal. Shoveling. Or the, or, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, right. Uh, yeah, you can't box. understand anything <laughs> that he says. <laughs> you really can't. So, but uh, so you know, those two stick by the the argument that they saw a train uh oncoming train so that's one thing that was sort of interesting the other thing we watched was the bhopal disaster on netflix and that was really uh really gets into how trains work and one of the things and again it's 1930s so it's different right the bhopal disaster which was horrific was 1980s in india obviously but it's weird because these guys seem like that these these bad guys seem like they're like i we want to tie you up so you stare at the train and see it and when you see sort of the train, how the trains work in the Paul disaster movie, you um, you actually come to understand that there's a lot of safeguards to prevent this, right? So these spotters, as you call them, really have means. Some of them actually could turn the track, so they could actually, if they saw the train coming, could go out and shift the track so they wouldn't crash. Um, they have the ability to flag things down. They have a bunch of ways, either f- like physically making sure the trains don't hit. And if, you know, if there's not enough time, they can at least wave, which they try to do, right? They try and signal and they communicate with each other. So it's really not conveyed that way. It really seems like these guys are just there to get the people, everyone to see it. And then essentially remove the safeguards that would prevent the train from crashing. Um, But they don't really emphasize that point. I I sort of saw it as they were like, you're going to watch the train now. Ha ha. You know, like it was a very weird, like, let's make you a witness. Um, But it was really illustrative of how... You know, there's a lot of things you have to do to get a train to crash into another train head on. Right. You're just basically. And they make this comment in the beginning because they were like, there's no way there was another train. First of all, obviously, if there was a crash, you it would have hit. Second, there's so many checkpoints where you would see the train. So it's really interesting because um, what's happening is they're hitting all the pressure. Po- I mean, I don't know if it's convincing to try and make it so you essentially set up a scenario where the only thing that the engineer can rely on is their eyeballs. No safety net, no other individuals besides the conductor or whoever, the, the fireman in this case, to help. That's it. Um, so it was really interesting because they, they did try to explain it a little bit, um, but they didn't, I felt, go far enough to explain. If you don't know anything about trains, you're like, why are they tying this guy up? Like, I don't know. He, what is he going to do? Um, but I think that was why. And it was an interesting way they they positioned it because um, it becomes clear. Obviously, somebody knows what they're doing. They're not just sort of terrorizing people with this phantom train. Uh, there's people behind it. The problem with that is they don't seem to ever care about these three guys, which is weird. Because if it was a phantom train and you wanted to make a Scooby-Doo sort of scenario where everybody's afraid that there's a ghost train or something or people hallucinating or swamp gas or whatever, three people come showing up and tying you up and telling you you have to watch it sounds like a crime syndicate to me. Yeah, I I don't know because there was never a through line between the spotters that were attacked and tied up and identifying the people that did it or speaking to the police or right. anything like that. And then also, if there weren't, first of all, you own a railway line, you know where your trains are, right? You know that none of them have gone rogue and are on the wrong track at the wrong time. But 
everything that occurs is because somebody is trying to make people believe in this phantom train, but there are other things that should have happened along the way to prevent it. Right. So, like, like the movie doesn't work if you start going down this rabbit hole, basically, right. <laughs> and saying that that actually there are a lot of people and things that should prevent two trains from running into one another on the same track. And they spend more time worrying about the trains. And like I said, like you said, you would think they would want to find out who these three guys are. Just I'm spitballing, like maybe track them right. down. And if people are being attacked and tied up, like what would the purpose of that be? Like right. let's start to follow that to its conclusion. Like nobody ever quite does that. And, and there is a little bit right in the board meeting where the owner, uh, I forget what his name was, the... Mr. Ha- Mr. Harrington, Harrington comments. You don't think it's the rifle guys trying to buy out our railroad, do you? And they're like, no, sir. I've per- perfectly investigated them and they are blameless and they didn't do it. And you're like, all right. Okay. okay. All right. Sure. So now we see this very long comedic scene where Bruce is now working as as a railway worker. He's like under the train, Right. Uh, real Bruce. We're going to call him Real Bruce and Fake Bruce. Yeah, so great. Real Bruce is doing his job. Fake Bruce shows up, the owner's son, you know, blah, 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 blah. And so Real Bruce is like under the train, like pulling on his pant leg, getting grease all over him and whatever. I guess it's supposed to be funny. And during this whole long comedic scene, which we're not finding funny, but we understand that it was supposed to be funny. We overhear other railway workers talking about the lack of a moon on a particular night coming up. And real Bruce overhears that. Now, to your point, Mike, we see Mr. Harrington being pressured by a group of men to sell his railway. So who is this? This is the rival. It's a railway gangs. I don't know. (laughs) And Mr. Harrington is sort of putting them off. And then he finally he says, I'm going to make a decision by midnight on Thursday. Once again, in a 1930s movie, midnight is important. I don't understand this obsession with midnight. I mean, I guess it's like a deadline for the end of the day, but it's just weird because the signing has to be at the at midnight. Like, why I know. specifically? Why you end of business, five o'clock. I don't know. Yeah, I don't get it. Yeah. All right, now to your earlier point, Mike, about the women and what they're doing. There's a very weird long scene where Carolyn and her mom, who is also never given a first name, are making a birthday cake for Smokey. Dear listener, (laughs) I do enjoy baking. I'm not the best decorator, but this cake looks awful. So it's very weird that they spend a long time showing it. Now we go to Smokey. He's at the train yard. He's leaving work that day. He goes to get his paycheck, and he is given a letter that he has been fired per the board because of the train that he was driving that went off the track. He's very upset. He goes home to find that they have staged a surprise party for him for his birthday. (laughs) So he struggles along for a little bit and puts on a pleasant face. But they have this toy train that they set up on the table. All right. It's going around the table. And the train, eventually, if you've ever had a toy train, you know they do not stay on their tracks for very long. 
So this one, of course, goes off the track. That triggers him. Content warning for Smokey. All right. He goes into another room. He breaks down. He's smashing shit. And so the wife and daughter come in and he tells them what happened, that he got fired. And so it's a quite a bit of melodrama. I saw that some reviewers were very impressed with the scene and how that all went. I felt like, okay, clearly Smokey, his identity is very much tied up in his job. But to me, it appeared to be a bit much. Now, also present during this, because we have to remember our roles, are the two Bruces, right? Yes. So fake Bruce and real Bruce. Wait, who's real? Real Bruce is the son, right? That's the real Bruce? No, he's the fake Bruce because he's he's pretending. No, no. real Bruce is the son. Right. Fake Bruce is, the, is friend. the friend. So fake Bruce is technically Bruce. So he's theoretically the son of this railroad magnet. He is the son. Right. Well, the, the one he's playing as, the, the yeah. friend. So, you know, rightfully so. People are like, dude, do something about this. And there's sort of an interesting, he like sort of finally sort of exits and goes, you know, I'll do what I can. But it's an interesting thing because, again, they're all so chummy. And there's a lot of this like, you know, that was the other thing. Did you know about this? You know, you're the son of the of the, the railroad boss. Like, why don't you know? that Smokey was going to be let go. And by the way, they make a a very big point that Smokey is beloved, right? Everybody knows him. He's quite the, you know, the fixture of... They give him a watch for his birthday. Everybody chips in. And they all chipped in. So they really set this up to be quite melodramatic. But it's just weird because it was a little bit like you could have not had the friend there. And I felt like the scene would have worked better because it does come out like, A, how did this, you let this happen? B, now I'm suspicious of, or I should be. They aren't. (laughs) They should be more suspicious of him. And see, uh, the only thing for him to really do gracefully is exit, which he does. But what a weird... And he said he knew, too. He was like, I knew, but I was hoping it wouldn't come up tonight because it was his party. And you're like, way to go, dude. You didn't tell me, best friend, other Bruce. Um, So it's just a very weird... Again, the plot seems like... It almost seems like there's elements that are grafted onto this that people didn't work through how they affect until the characters get together and you go, oh, yeah, that's a weird issue. So I, I have this flashback. I was I used to do special effects for plays in uh, high school, and uh, one of the actresses forgot to get off stage. And uh, in the play, they were talking about her character, and she was supposed to. Leave. She was at a party, and she's not supposed to be there. So it completely donked the whole play up. I I didn't even I didn't think anybody really cared that much. But it is one of those things where it, that's what it felt like. Like somebody got left on screen who probably should have left. Uh, and they forgot to excise them from the plot and then didn't realize until later, oh, well, now we got to sort of patch over with some kind of script writing of, of why he's there and what he should be doing. But uh, it is awkward because at some point you're like, I don't even know why you guys are keeping up this facade. Just say who you are and then be very separate and not be seen together. But they're be- they just can't stop being best buds. Well, you know, it's uh, two handsome men. They just can't live without one another. <laughs> So, well, they there is a reason, though, that fake Bruce is there. Fake Bruce, as you said, he knew about the firing, and he tells real Bruce, yeah, I did know. But fake Bruce also tells real Bruce, look, we have until midnight on Thursday mm-hmm. to come up with some information. So now fake Bruce tells Carolyn, I'm going to fix everything, and they kiss. And I don't know, see, like, the dude, as far as Carolyn knows, the dude works under the trains, I don't know how he's going to fix the situation with the dad. Don't forget, 
Harrington's a fighter. Yes. And don't you forget this. There's no use of being a fighter when you haven't anything to fight. And you can't fight phantoms, can you? Anyway, real Bruce goes to work at the rail yard. He puts on the wrong coat. He's, I don't know, going through the pockets. I don't know why. He finds a note in the pocket that says, get Harrington's son out of the way. A clue. <laughs> so <laughs> he rightly figures out that the owner of the coat is somehow involved with the Phantom Express. So when they figure out who owns the coat, he says to his other friend, unnamed, as far as I can tell, uh, we got we to gotta follow this guy. Later, after work, we got to follow him and find out what they're up to because he's trying to kill me, but I'm but he doesn't know that it's that I'm me, so he's going to go after my friend right. who's the fake me. Right. So we go back to Smokey's house, and Carolyn and her mom are, like, sewing something, and Carolyn says, oh, we don't have enough fabric. I'm going to go to the store and get more fabric, whatever. So instead, she goes and talks to fake Bruce about her dad, and they have a little conversation about that. And what struck me at this point, like, again, nothing to do really with the plot or whatever. It was just that the two women are sewing and we're hearing the sewing machine. And so many points during the movie, you're hearing the train with the whistle or without the whistle. And then the sewing machine and just this idea of the way that those two sounds have a particular cadence and a particular beat and that they make you think of work and hurry and just those different things. And so it just struck me, uh, I think the second or third time I was watching this movie about how, I don't know if it was intentional, you don't have any real reason to put a sewing machine noise in the movie, but that the two things sounded very similar and had to do with work and industry. And I just, I don't know. So props to the sound engineers for that. And the, the movie doesn't have a lot of music. Uh, it's mostly sound, but it doesn't have music in the beginning, and that music is very train-inspired. It has little whistle stops and um, chugga-chugga noises in it, so it's kind of interesting, because I, I think it definitely was on purpose, if that first musical piece is any indication, because they, they very consciously, this is not sort of public domain classical music playing in the background. It's, it's unique to this movie. Uh, they played their little intro piece that sounded like a train. Yeah, I mean, it was a piece of music, and then it literally had train noises in it. Mm -hmm. And it actually, I turned to you when we were watching it, and I was like, this is too much. <laughs> like this. I like music that is evocative of a train noise. Okay? Like, like you're thinking of, like, Berlin, the Metro. Like, that song. Like, that's enjoyable to me. But this was actual train noises, and it got to be overwhelming. Like the train noise could have been faded out because it was also a lot of blowing whistles. And, you know, we live in the Northeast where there are, you know, trains, plenty of trains. We can even sometimes hear the train from our house on mm -hmm. particular days. And they do not blow the whistle that much. So <laughs> you can overdo the whistle. Yeah, yeah. Chugga, chugga. Chugga, chugga, choo, chugga. Chugga, chugga. <laughs> All right, so... <laughs> I'm reminded, Mike, there was another point during the movie where you were like, oh, I didn't know that that's how they moved the trains around or whatever. And I was like, oh, I knew. And you know how I know? 
from watching Thomas the Train with the kids. <laughs> That's right. That's like the extent of my train knowledge is from watching Thomas the Tank Engine with the kids when they were little. Yeah, that was the wheelhouse, right? That's what they call it. I think that was the phrase they used, the wheelhouse. Right, just the way that they move the train, that mm-hmm. they turn them, that they go onto this track that then rotates yeah. so that you could, you know, move them, you know, between tracks. Anyway, uh, very funny. Um, all right, but clearly I did not learn enough to be able to understand certain things in this movie, nor did I care enough to look most of it up. Uh, we will not Google anything. Okay, so <laughs> now Carolyn and fake Bruce are together. And fake Bruce says, I'll give you a ride home. All right. So they get in real Bruce's car, which fake Bruce is driving, and they leave. So these bad dudes are watching. Okay. And so they're supposed to take out real Bruce, but they're following fake Bruce and Carolyn. And the next thing we see, the men have kidnapped Carolyn and fake Bruce. We don't see how. We have no idea. They're just all in their cars, and then suddenly they're all in the same car, and they're putting fake Bruce and Carolyn into a barn, and Carolyn says something like, why did they bring us all the way out here? So it's a remote location. So fake Bruce decides in that moment, I guess it's a good moment, a a better moment would have been before all of this started, but he decides to tell Carolyn about everything that he knows and to come clean about being fake Bruce. Okay. So now we see real Bruce and Smokey also has a son as well as a daughter. So they get in the car and it's after work. So they're going to follow this man who had that note in his pocket that said, we need to get rid of the owner's son. They're in their car. They're following these men. They follow them to this barn. All right. So now they're all in the same place. Now they see something. It's a very little interesting touch in this movie. So the men in the car are outside of this barn. They see what's going on. Suddenly, they're able to put the whole thing together. But us, the audience, we don't get to see what that is. So we still don't know what's going on. But real Bruce, Smokey's son, and Axel know what's going on at this point. Okay. So now real Bruce and Smokey's son ambush ambush these dudes and get fake Bruce and Carolyn out of the barn. And I Axel. thought it was so clever with the fake Bruce and real Bruce and it's very cumbersome to say. <laughs> RBFB. Um it, it's funny cuz Axel's like there's four of them and there's three of us and he's like no there's four and four there's you two. And two for me. And he's got like this sap in his hand. And he's like, don't you worry. He's got a what a in his sap. Hand? You ever hear of a sap? It's a weighted weapon. Um, I think it's actually a wrench. I don't know. Maybe it's not a sap. but Oh, okay. I don't know. I thought it was like a tire iron or it's something. It's something heavy. I it but the point is, once he hits somebody, they go down. Because when he finally uses yeah. it, they go down hard. So they – now the other thing – and I, I think these are the same guys that tied everybody up. Yes, I believe that they are. Okay. Yeah. Which also means they work at the railroad, by the way. So the, the, yes, the whole reason the jacket thing gets confused is because they're at the railroad st- station doing their railroady stuff as, you know, workers, which again means if anybody had taken the time to investigate the people who had tied these other folks up, it would have Means led to Means motive and this. opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. 
So it's kind of funny because I was like, wait a minute, those are the same guys, right? So they actually worked there. They weren't even like hired, you know, minions from another location. They actually are railroad people in, in the employ and, you know, sort of like glowering at everybody and being jerks. So the whole thing is just really, I mean, it's look, it's very interconnected. Um, but it also, if you poke at it a little bit, you're like, no one figured this out. So anyway, yeah, so they, they definitely do that. And the other thing is, I'm not sure if you touched on this, Carolyn went to fake Bruce to basically plead for her father to get his job back and was like, don't say Correct. anything. So that's why she, she, she ducked out essentially to do that. And that's how, of course, conveniently places her in harm's way along with fake Bruce in the barn. Yes, totally. And the men are like, they, they briefly go, he's got a dame with him. And the other one says so. Mm-hmm. They were going to take care of Bruce in any way that they could. It didn't matter who was, who was with him. All right, so now we have to talk for a minute about how, let's see, who's in this car? Real Bruce, Smokey's son, and Axel are in a car uh, a little bit away from the barn. Mile or so, they can see it just because of the way that the, the, the land lies. They're like up on a hill and they can see this barn down below. Great scouting. So great location to set this all up. So they drive their car, not on the road. They drive it down the hill. And for me, this was like the biggest gasp of the whole movie because they're driving this 1932 car down this, I don't want to say it was a 45 degree <laughs> angle, but like I like maybe kind of close to that, over a rock, one of the doors flies open <laughs> And it does appear to be the actors. It does not look like stunt people. And I was so shocked. And I was like, they must have ruined that car. How did the axle on that car survive that breakneck drive down the hill over huge rocks? It was fantastic. I'm pretty sure at least... They, I'm pretty sure they broke the car because at least more than once the door flies open. They like come screeching in and like the door flops. And they're pulling it <laughs> yeah. shut. There's a lot of like the door flopping around. And, and like you said, they almost fell out. I'm pretty sure somebody in the vehicle looked like they full on. It is a convertible. Out. I mean, yeah. there's no top. There's on no it. top. Yeah. So um, it was it was intense. But, you know, I do my own stunts. It's 1930s. I mean, it was really it was really something else it was you know, the, the 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 angels were watching over those <laughs> men that day i'll tell you what uh poverty row that's a <laughs> this is a poverty row production so you just you get it done now what's happening is they all right they got into this scuffle they capture the bad guys we'll call them they capture the bad guys and real bruce says to fake bruce you need to send a telegram to my father and tell him that, you know, these guys have been arrested so that the Phantom Express situation should be over. But it turns out that fake Bruce never could send a telegram because there's a big rainstorm and it has shut everything down. Again, I did not look it up. I don't know why a telegram would not be available during a rainstorm. But in any case, so the trains are shut down. Traffic is at a standstill. Oh, no, they don't know how they're going to get to Mr. Harrington and tell him not to sell the railway. To the, cr to the criminals who are very, very guilty. And certainly it wouldn't be reversible if he signed it and they found out the day later that they were criminals. Good point. <laughs> I'm a little bit Good like, 
Very good point. We've got yes. all the proof that they were sabotaging your rail. I don't care if you sign. It really doesn't matter. You signed under false pretenses. Contracts null and void. Go to jail. Do not pass go. Nope. Yeah. Nope. We're going to make it yeah. a dramatic. Got to get there in time. Well, because there's this whole, you know, redemption situation that's got to go on. Chugga, here. chugga. Chugga, chugga. <laughs> All right. So, Smokey's friend, you remember him? His name is Axel. We can't understand anything that he says. Um, but he goes and he gets Smokey from his house and he says, nothing can get through. We have to let Mr. Harrington know what happened. We need you to drive an engine with real Bruce on it so that he can get to his dad with the message, okay, not to sell before midnight tonight. And they're all getting in this train. There is real rain. Just occurred to me just now. There, There is like a lot of rain. Mm-hmm. Like, did they re- wait for a rainstorm? Probably. I don't know what they did. It's Poverty Row. So yeah. anyway, it was raining like a lot, okay? And so somebody's yelling at Smokey. You've got three hours, and this is a four-hour run. And Smokey's like, I can do it. Doesn't matter. I don't work for the <laughs> railway anymore. I'm just, everybody's just going to give me this engine. Okay. Uh, and they're big. Like, I don't know how they compare to modern-day trains, but when you see the people standing next to them, these engines, they're gigantic. Yeah. Honestly, if one was coming at you, it would be terrifying. Okay. Now, so... Our model train is back. I just love it so much. It's just so cute. I just love what they did. It's a, it's amazing. Like the like their model people, fantastic. A plus, no notes. Okay. So now we see this model train. It is it, it is running the gauntlet, man. It's going through all these dangerous situations. There's flooding on the tracks. No, the train goes through it. Psh, water everywhere. <laughs> There's rocks falling on the tracks, but oh, the train makes it through just in time. And then a bridge collapses, right? The train goes over the bridge and the bridge collapses. It's like, oh, they're just, they're doing it. They're going to get there. Four hour ride. They're going to make it in three. Okay. So they tear up to the station. There, There's that whistle again, blowing it like their lives depend on it. And they run in to see Mr. Harrington because, of course, they're having a meeting right next to the tracks. Of course. That's where, you know, you're going to have these meetings. So real Bruce comes in with the big reveal. And we finally learn what's been going on. And he says, Smokey deserves his job back because there was no other train. This was malfeasance. And what this other... Can we call them railway barons? Is that what That's they what are? That's what I've been calling them, yeah. yeah. Okay. So what these other railway barons did was is they put a big spotlight on a plane. They, like, suspended it between the landing gear of the plane. Then they used a record of train sounds, played it through a giant speaker that was on the plane, amplified it somehow, I watched it a bunch of times. I'm not really sure how they did that. But I know that there's very clever analog ways to amplify sound. So they did something like that. Then they ran smoke out of the back of the plane so that the whole thing looked like a train with the light and the smokestack. And they were doing it to devalue Mr. Harrington's business so that he would sell it. Yeah, that was the big reveal. And this is, this is work to put this together. 
Um, there's a couple of elements. One, they they mute the engine, the plane engine. They, oh yeah, they that's I forgot that part. They right. put a muffler on the plane engine, which I was not aware. I was don't know that you can actually thing. do. That. <laughs> it's not like a car muffler. I don't know. Well, then why wouldn't you do it for every right. plane? Like, I would love quiet planes. That'd be great. Thank I you. Would, that'd, be, that'd be nice. Um, Thanks very much. And then they, I guess they pipe in the train sounds. So, um, Well, they had like, they kept showing like a turntable. Which is a weird, I guess, I mean, that's 1930s technology, but I was like, I don't know how you fly the plane and not have that thing skipping, but okay. You know, it's, it is quite an inch, but it's, it, it, you can see somebody put some thought into pulling this off. And of course the idea is the train comes, the plane comes at the train and then pulls up. Right. So it, it looks right. like it's coming head on and there's no evidence. Right. Because it never actually was on the ground. So you actually don't know what was going on because there's no evidence left behind. So it was, it, I love the idea. I mean, I don't think it's actually possible, but I love the concept. So A for effort. I did try looking this up. I could find no information. You know, if Mythbusters was still on, I wish like this could be a great thing for them to do. Um, but right. I I. I don't think it is practically feasible, but I love that they came up with the concept and I love that they hid it from you. So not a fair play who done it. They purposefully kept information from you so that they could have that big reveal at the end. And then there's all of this footage of showing how they put together the plane and the light and the record player and the whole shebang to be able to pull this off. And also again, poverty row, 1932 they did have an, a plane this wasn't stock footage as, as far as i could tell because the plane was doing what they described that they were doing to to commit the crime so again no notes i, I loved it it's fantastic all right so now the movie ends how does the movie have to end Mike. Uh, the young couple uh either saves up enough money or gets enough money to get married or propose usually one or the other. Well, and we don't see this. So we don't know how this happens. We don't see the proposal or anything like it. All we see is what looks like people celebrating a wedding on the back of a train driving away from the camera. So Carolyn has apparently forgiven real Bruce for pretending that he was not Bruce. And real Bruce has apparently given up his playboy ways and married Carolyn married so, a good woman well she knows how to make a cake and sew some curtains so domestic bliss there you go happily ever after here's hoping for them Mike I have to ask you the big question which is kind of a small question for this movie is this a horror movie or is it something else That's it's definitely not a horror movie it's um <laughs> the most horrifying incident is is a, an elderly man whose career is wrapped up in his job coming home to a birthday a was it birthday birthday party after he's just been fired. Um, that's probably the most horrific moment of all this. A lot of the other things are either weirdly removed because they're adorable train crashes on a train set that doesn't feel real, um, or uh, you know there's sort of slap fight. 1930s kind of fights but um yeah generally speaking there's just not a lot of horror in this uh there's a lot of moxie they they really go for it and i the film definitely has a vibe that somebody had a vision um which i can say is more than some of the other films but uh it's definitely not a horror it's it's a 
it's not even a whodunit. You can't figure it out, right? Because you're like, I don't understand how this they're doing this. So it, it's much more sort of a drama with a little bit of humor thrown in and and certainly uh, uh, it's, it's somebody loves trains. So if, <laughs> if, if you do, if you really love trains, it's actually quite horrifying because the trains do get, <laughs> there's a lot of train abuse in this film. Right. And, you know, I was assuming that somebody was simulating a train. I just didn't know how they were doing it. I figured it was probably a little more of, you know, somebody driving some kind of a vehicle on the track and then getting it off the track quickly with the light. That's what I figured. A plane I never would have I never would have come up with. So Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty clever. And and that you know, and then so you got the concept is clever, and then you've got all the artistry of making the train come to life as a, a miniature railroad. Um and I bring this up because well, hopefully we'll be able to use this clip. I uh as as a scoutmaster, I participated in the uh, railroad merit badge for Boy Scouts, which is a real thing. And I had an opportunity to, we had to paint, you have to paint a car, a rail car. And I uh, modeled mine after the Phantom Express. So, which is weird because it doesn't, <laughs> the, the Phantom Express has no cars behind it. It's just. It's the, not actually a train. It, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, but uh, I did take the logo and put it on one of the sort of the cargo cars and uh, use that. So that was my entry um for because adults have to participate too not just the not just the scouts so i was able to participate but it, it is uh interesting because that was a pain to put that was a larger scale probably than they used train and it was a pain to put together and that was one car so i can only imagine the level of artistry to get these trains to work and look good uh on on screen in the 1930s so kudos to them because i could barely put my friggin' train together not only the train, but then everything, the tracks, the trees, the rocks falling, the water, like it was so much. Like you really had to have been, you know, they had to have hired people who were just experts in this. It was just, it was pretty amazing. All right, now we're going to give this movie some ratings. We're going to use our homegrown rating system. And I have to say, the origins of which have been lost to time. <laughs> I really don't know how we came up with this, but we did. So we're going to give it between zero and five knives, glasses of wine, and screams. And I'm going to start with you, Mike, and how many knives. And this will represent the body count. How scary was it? Was it gory? Did it live up to its title? Where's your head at, Mike? Uh, and by the way, you can do halves. I, we, I think when we first launched this, we weren't sure where we were going to end up. And I, half, giving halves seems to help. So I don't know. One day you just started yeah, with like I the point two five point five, And I was like, all right, we're going to go with There's it. There's many okay. knife hilts. So I don't, I, it doesn't work we for are. glasses of wine. But um, So, uh, look, the, I think the big thing we have to acknowledge is a train crash is horrific. Um, very much so. so and they a little bit glossed over yeah. it, to be honest so um and 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 nobody really gets hurt in a way that's you know like serious i mean people get hurt but they recover kind of thing there's not like these are not passenger rails um these are it's very different so it's minimized um but it's it's not a small thing uh so i'm not willing to give it no knives because i think that it does deal with a sort of a serious thing um i also feel like it is it's um it's a serious topic, even though it's sort of played fast and loose. So I'll give it one. I could go one and a half, but I think I'm going to give it one knife. It's not particularly, other than, the, you know, the stakes are concerning. 
And there is some, you know, the, the people are violent, right? They do fight, but it's just not, this is not a horror movie. So, you know, it's amazing how few people actually get hurt given the circumstances of how, as you mentioned, these trains are enormous, by the way. So you can imagine if if it one derails, how you survive even is a question, but uh, it's one, one knife. I agree. I'm also going to give it one knife. And basically because it lived up to its title, thankfully they did not name it the Midnight Train or some crap <laughs> like that, you know? They did call it the Phantom Express, and the phrase was used several times yes. within the movie. Yeah, I'm going to give it one knife for that reason. All right, moving on to Glasses of Wine. And this represents, was it fun to watch? Did it have any unique moments? So what do you think about wine, Mike? I like wine. Oh, are we talking about the movie? Yeah, I... Talking about the movie. I, generally speaking, I thought, this is one of those films that it's so different. It really is. It like takes its premise. It could have been just sort of a mystery that happens on a train. It could have been a lot of things that it, it isn't. It's really somebody who loves trains. Um, it is very much about the train industry, so to speak. And it somehow magically sets up a train showdown where you have to race a train through every natural disaster that can befall a train in the span of three hours. So I, I thought it was entertaining um, in that regard. It, it tries. Most of the actors are pretty good. The Mr. Harrington isn't very good. I don't know what his deal is, but everybody else seems pretty good. I, th- I felt they're, they're certainly appropriately, you know, comedic, whatever. Some of the, I think the comedy falls flat, but again, this is 32. So it's probably cultural gaps for us. And again, coming out of the talkies, right? The, the, the silent films. And now we're, we're at the, the, they're playing with audio for the first time. There's not a lot of music. So you add all that up and I, I enjoyed it. I, I wouldn't say it was my favorite, partially because it was rushed. Uh, I think it's like an hour running time, right? It's not one of the longer films. So it's pretty quick. Uh, and that it suffers because of that, in my opinion. It, it could have used extra time. It didn't get it. So I'd give it, I'd give it three stars. Uh, three, excuse me, three glasses of wine. Wow. All right. So I am going to give it two glasses of wine. I agree with what you were saying. It is well acted. It is, I think, a unique premise. And I, I don't know, man, that car, that daredevil car ride down that hill that was really something else so for that reason i'm gonna give it two glasses of wine but a lot of the rest of it was pretty standard for the time you have arbitrary deadline you have a dude making up a reason to get closer to a woman that he likes you know, stuff like that. So it was, you know, kind of some tropes. And what's interesting is, is that we're seeing these tropes, even though it was the 30s, at this point, we have well-worn tropes that have been used for a long time. Like they had, they could have been breaking new ground and they were just kind of going over the same thing again in a lot of ways. So I can't really give it too much, you know, too much more wine for for those reasons. So I'm going to stick with two. And our last rating, which is an overall rating, it does not have to be an average of knives and glasses of wine. It's completely independent. And this is how many screams we're going to give this movie. Mike, what do you think? Overall, I felt like this, I mean, so this is where I'm a little bit harsher, right? So the, the I enjoyed the film. I don't think it's a great film. Um, it's It tries uh, with what it's got. It's a little, and it's the little movie that could. 
like the little engine that could. Um, but it's just not uh, successful in a lot of ways. Um, some of it being there are characters that seem like somebody didn't think through where they should be and they sort of end up sort of grafted on. Uh, and a lot of the deception is does not work the way I think people were hoping. So I'll, I'll give it two and a half. Yeah, I think I'm going to give it a little higher because some of the elements that are kind of outside of the the knives and the glasses of wine because those are really more tied to like a horror movie and this was not a horror movie whatsoever it was a poverty row sort of whodunit or thriller i they were clearly really playing around with some different ideas the model train absolutely loved that they held the reveal until the end of the movie, which, you know, would keep butts in seats, right, until the very end. So we didn't know what was going on until it was explained to us. It was well acted. They were playing around with sound, and I have a lot of appreciation for that and trying to keep this train, this idea of that there's a constant there's, there's a beat. There's, you know, time is moving. Things are happening along with the train and the sewing machine. So I really enjoyed all of that. So I'm actually going to give this movie uh, three screams because wow. of, yeah, because of just really the artistry. And then also for a Poverty Row film, which you normally see, they have a couple of sets and then some stuff is outside. This was, I didn't count, but there were so many sets. Their location scout did an amazing job. I don't even know how you go about getting permission to film trains and at the railway and people are under the trains and they're next to the trains and they're getting on the train. Like it was a lot. They really worked hard at this and I have so much appreciation for that. So uh, that is my long explanation for why I am going to give it more screams than I gave it wine. Or knives. It, fe- it feels modern. That's the way I would put it. it. It's one of those things where it does so many things that we are we just take for granted today that it, you don't notice. It's, it, it's there because we now that you and I have seen 30 plus films, you do notice when it's missing. But there's a lot of those elements that are just included because it's very modern filmmaking. So again, with whatever budget they had, they really they really went for it. Um, so yeah, yeah. It, was, it was actually pretty entertaining. Mike, you have created a character that is for use in tabletop role-playing games, and that is also based on this film, The Phantom Express. Tell me about this character. All right. We're going to go off the rails. <laughs> no one can see the look that you just gave me. but okay. yeah, yeah, you can't see my face because this is a podcast, unless you're watching the clips that we post. But yeah, I am making a face that only... A wife of two decades. <laughs> exactly. Right. I'm well. I'm well acquainted with that look. Um, so I want a phantom and train. I want it. Right. It's it's Dungeons and Dragons. It's fantasy. Uh, we're already pushing the envelope of trains. My uh, world, my campaign world, actually has a train called the Iron Dragon. So not super a big stretch for me, but for different circumstances, I realize that may they, that doesn't always fit. So I wanted to sort of try and make a compromise of what this might be in that context. Right. I came up with uh, Huntley Gordon, and I think Huntley Gordon might be the name of the bad guy. I don't remember where I got this from. I suspect maybe he's credited, or maybe I gave him some... I think maybe it was Gordon. And he's a dwarf, 
who has a vision for this idea of this moving cart that goes on tracks. And uh, he's very excited about producing it. He creates it. It's his vision. He's obsessed with it. He does actually manage to create it. And all the other dwarves start copying him. So he gets really, really, really mad. And nobody seems to be really understanding the difference between his quality workmanship and these knockoffs. So he's really angry about this whole thing. And he decides to take matters into his own hands and starts doing what we see in the film, which is creating a a mechanical device to terrorize the other rival train creators and try and essentially destroy their business and their vehicles. And so it's a little bit more, this is not sort of money so much as pride of ownership and pride of invention. And uh, for better or worse, he actually dies in a stupid way. He, he is demonstrating how important his vehicle is, his train, and the boiler overheats and explodes and kills him. So, and that is the very short career of Huntley Gordon. But he comes back from the depths of hell, or Infernus in my campaign, and uh, he is determined to go after all these dwarves who have made these knockoffs. So he's not content to rest. His soul is not going to rest. And he runs the Phantom Express. So what is the Phantom Express? It is this ghostly train that he pilots. And he runs it head on into these other trains. And uh, what happens is because it's, it's, it's a Phantom train and he is a, he's, a, he's a specter essentially. He steps off as soon as the train, assuming you don't crash, and then turns everyone he can by killing them into his crew, his train crew. So he is this train terrorist who uses his ghostly powers to create this this spirit train this phantom train and um and then he attacks people who are on the train so it's a you have to have a train obviously that does uh is one of the requirements and there's some in some of the settings there's something called a lightning rail and some of the other D D settings you could you could use it for caravans and other stuff but it works best for the train and the idea being that he they come at you head on and then they step off as the train is passing through you and uh, start laying waste to the train. So it's it's he's pretty straightforward. He he sort of barrels right towards his targets. But it's a I think it's an interesting setup, right? Where you have a character who um, essentially feels like they own something, and just because you're on the train, you get in trouble because this dwarf is his restless spirit decides that everybody must pay. So I, I had a lot of fun with it. This was sort of the vision I had when I heard of the Phantom Express. Um, I was actually impressed how non phantomy the uh the concept was but uh, i like the idea of sort of a dwarf in, in my world particularly dwarves own steam and combustion technology so uh it was a natural fit right and huntley gordon is the name is. of the president of the rival railway okay you got that right so right. you were yeah so you did you did your homework on that uh a little bit there okay so he's a dwarf He's undead? Yes. What do his stats look like? That's a good question. So he's, um, because he's a, I think we talked about this once before, like, oh yeah, like specters and ghosts have like high charisma. That's how they sort of influence the world. So he's a combination of, he's very smart. Obviously he made this really amazing technology and he invented it. So he's brilliant. He's actually a genius, but he's also charismatic. Partially that's like a willpower thing that he's come back. Um, and he does have a high wisdom. He, co- he comes back. Um, but he he's... Very much a kind of character that is single-minded because he's, in some ways, he's a spirit that is back for revenge against everybody who's on any train that's not his train, which there is no train. It, his train exploded. So if you ride a train, he's coming for you. 
Um, so he has, uh, he, but he's, he's, uh, essentially like an artificer and my unit in my game system, I use artisan, which is a little bit less magical, but he has magic powers. So he has spells that he can do. And he, you know, again, he's the kind of person who can essentially he, when he was alive, he was able to make some really cool stuff, including trains. And that makes him dangerous. He has a wrench. I love that he has a wrench. Um, so he can hit you with the wrench. He can take things out of your hand with the wrench. He does all kinds of cool stuff with his wrench. And uh, he, but all the things that happen in the film, he can create. So not only can he terrorize you with bringing that train head on, he can cause landslides, thunderstorms, all kinds of stuff. So he, he sort of heralds his approach with the storm. Again, in a sense, trying to encapsulate everything that happened in the film so that you can do it as an encounter. Uh, and he even can have a blinding headlamp because that's what the train did, right? So he can do that. So really fun ideas of, like you said, you know, if you really think about it, a train coming at you is pretty terrifying. Right. And so, all right, you need to have a society that has train technology or something analogous, similar. So where might this character be used outside of your setting, which does have a train that features pretty prominently in it? Yeah, so um, what's interesting, and so now we're going far afield, but we're going off the rails. Uh, in in Furnace, uh, which is my uh, equivalent of Hell, which is Dante's Inferno, it's actually a model after Dante's Inferno, the the circle of Avarice, it's actually called Avarus, uh, A-V-A-R-U-S, um, is very much a technog- technological wasteland. Uh, it's very much sort of a uh, dystopian, uh, industrialized hellscape. And that's where he comes from. So he came from hell. He sort of got his way out. We don't know if he was released or he snuck his way out. So you can imagine uh, he's got that sort of moment. So you could certainly encounter him there, right? So if you're if you're going, if your characters are plane hopping, he could be on his home turf running the train um, and sort of be the spirit who, uh, you know, will has obviously is not somebody you want to run your train, but you could encounter him that way. But the other, to your point, the other one is obviously more trains, the better. Um, and it could be, that he sees any engine as a threat, right? So that was the the pride and joy of his his uh, sort of career was the combustion engine, the steam engine, actually the steam engine. And so he, if anybody starts inventing something like that, he might come after them as well. Um, so you don't even need a train. I love the idea of this train coming on and you're riding your train and all of a sudden there's an ambush and you know, there's a bunch of undead in, uh, you know, in your passenger seat while you're on the train. But he could just as easily be sort of a vengeful spirit that goes after anybody who pushes technology too far, of which you see a lot in Dungeons and Dragons and fantasy settings. So that's your gnomes, that's your dwarves, that's some kind of, you know, forgotten steampunk technology. So, um, yeah, he can come in as sort of a corrective where somebody's either just invented or is about to invent something really cool that is somewhere along the lines of a steam engine, whatever, uh, and have him basically attempt to wreck it. So I, I think he can work in a couple of different ways, but by far he works best if there's there's railroad tracks. I don't know, man. He sounds like a bummer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he, he is a bummer. Yes. You do something cool, you invent something interesting and that may better society in some way. And he comes along and says, nah, we're not going to do that. Yeah, he's the so. he's the, the worst example of like frivolous lawsuit guy, right? Except he comes back from the depths of hell and is like, that's mine. You can't make it. You're like, I didn't even know you existed. Why are you mad? But yeah, yeah. Right? That's real mad. That's big mad if you're coming back from the grave to go after people for inventing things. Well, so. one of the hooks we have is that maybe somebody discovers his stuff, 
right? So maybe yeah. you find out that, you know, the person that you thought invented this cool steam engine actually found these blueprints and it turns out it was Gordon's stuff. Um, and so it wasn't as original as they thought. So there's lots of ways you can use him as a hook. This is very different. He's very different from our other villains, uh, which I love about him. He's he's definitely unique uh, and he's quite possessive of his technology, which I think it makes him fun. Yeah. All right. Well, now I kind of understand this because I feel like what would keep me from going to the afterlife is if somebody were plagiarizing me, I would totally come back and just let them have it. You would. Any way that I could. You would, baby. So, I know you would. Yeah, I, I would. So. Let that be a warning to all you people. <laughs> Nobody cares. They will just plagiarize. It does not matter. All right. Uh, well, I, I think we've covered everything for episode 31. Well, we do need to say of- where we can get this where we can get all this great stuff. We haven't covered everything. Mike, where can people get this character so that they can drop it into their role-playing games? Uh, So we have three different ways. I keep coming up with new ways. So uh, we release uh, this character, the Phantom Engineer, for free on patreon.com slash T-A-L-I-N slash Talion. That's our Patreon. And uh, once a week, we release a character. Oh, gosh, I just realized I didn't release one today. <laughs> Once a week, we release a character um, online, and uh, you can view it for free. And uh, we'll actually have this video as part of it as well, and uh, we'll talk about the character and the stats. So you'll get a preview there. So that's one way. And by the way, as you were fond of pointing out, Amber, uh, now Patreon made it so you can actually sign up to be reminded for free. So you don't even have to pay. We hope you do. We, it's a small fee. You can pay as little as a dollar a month. But uh, if you just want to be informed of all the free stuff we release, you can sign up and we encourage that because at least this way you're always informed um, about anything new. And I usually release something probably four to five times a week so uh, for free. So that's one way. The other way is that all these villains are collected in a 50 villain anthology known as uh, 5e foes, gothic villains. And that's all 50 of our friends and enemies uh, all in one place where uh, they are fleshed out more. So there's more than just this information. You'll see information about how they work together. Uh, Gordon is a unique case. As the Phantom Engineer, he really doesn't play nice with others, so he really isn't one of the sort of network villains. But there are many who do. So we actually don't just create them in the context of the movie. We also create them in the context of how they might work together in your campaign world. So there's a great Dungeon Master's supplement to really uh, use them and leverage them in creative ways. And we've got rules for minions and rules for... There are unique weapons if they have them, all kinds of stuff. Like Gordon has that wrench, which does neat stuff. So you can actually have a wrench and see how it works. Uh, and then we have it on DriveThruRPG. So, and by the way, so that supplement is available through Patreon if you sign up at, I think, Tier 3. And then you'll get that. And it's included with a whole bunch of other stuff, over a hundred, hundreds of dollars of content. So if you sign up there and join the Patreon, you will get that document, along with many others, including 5e RPG Gothic adventures and that's sort of our gothic equivalent uh campaign setting guide so that gives you rules on madness and all kinds of the fun stuff that helps you create the campaign also characters that can be gothic characters so uh these two supplements go together they're also bundled on drive through rpg and drive through rpg is the other place so if you don't want to if you don't get the chance to look at it for free or maybe it piques your interest if you're not signing up for patreon you can just buy it outright so if you want to go on drive through rpg you can buy it there uh where it's on sale and also bundled with the aforementioned 5e RPG Gothic Adventures. And we, we even have a bundle of all these podcasts. We release all these podcasts 
uh, with the with this supplement as well. So you can get that. And uh, it's actually a slightly discounted price. So you can get all the podcasts up to date as well as the um, actual supplement itself. So we have plenty of ways you can get it. I uh, absolutely encourage you to do it. But by far, the easiest way to stay informed is patreon.com slash Italian. And as you are fond of mentioning, we have plenty of social media as well. Uh, World of Wellstar is uh, our, our brand, and that's on Twitter, on Facebook, as well as on Instagram. So you can sign up there. And if you want to be informed as the, uh, the new content becomes available for free, by all means, sign up, follow us there. Right, and we release little fun things on social media that are not in other places. And I will say, though, that following for free on Patreon, again, if you want to follow with a monetary amount, we appreciate that. But if you follow for free, you do get emails when there is new content available. And social media can be fickle, and you might not see everything. So you can follow on social media for all of the cool stuff that we release there. We really do try to make all of the different channels uh, different so that you're seeing new things all of the time. But following along either for free or as a patron on patreon.com slash Italian is the best way to get everything sent to you so you can make a decision about it, whether or not you want to pursue it further. Okay. I'm always trying to end this podcast early. I don't know what that says about me, but now I think we really have covered everything for episode 31 of the Phantom Express from 1932. Right, Mike, any last words as we leave behind this very, very train-centric movie? I, I'm trying to think if I've left any pun, other puns. Though. I, I think we lost. I lost my train of thought a little bit, but I we got it back on track. So, oof. Well, <laughs> you can't see my face because this is a podcast, but I'm making one. All right. Thank you for listening and for following us in all of the places that we make the content available, and we will see you next time on 50 Date Night Screams. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to 50 Date Night Screams. Be sure to check the show notes to learn where you can watch this movie for free. The quality isn't always the best when streaming, so we've also included a link to where you can purchase it. You can also get much more information, including the characters from this and all the 50 Date Night Screams episodes at betrayon.com slash Italian. Until next time, don't stop screaming. 50 Date Night Screams is a production of Mal and Tal Enterprises. It is written, produced, and directed by Amber and Mike Tresca. Mm-hmm.